Welcome to an elite group of women in the Mumpreneurs Club, a podcast designed for women in business with children and social lives. Whoever said you can't have your cake and eat it too didn't listen to an episode of the Mumpreneurs Club. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Mumpreneurs Club. Today's an interesting episode and topic that I wanted to bring up and have a conversation about and that is around how we're raising our children and how the next generation is um, is sort of being brought up. And one of the reasons we brought this whole topic of conversation up is because it's all been centered around my eldest son turning 10 and I am a self-proclaimed helicopter parent. My husband always likes to make mention of that. I do have a very hard time of letting go and I am extremely fearful of most situations. So that sort of means that I am constantly like a drone around my children. Um, I probably get that from my dad. I'm currently 32 going on to 33 and to this day, my dad We'll jump into the pool at any holiday that we go to to make sure that the level is safe for me and that I'll be allowed to step. And if you could picture this, it is a graying 59-year-old man jumping hysterically into the water, almost pushing me back, jumping into the water and walking and yelling It's okay, baby. It's okay. Up to here is good. Up to here is good. You can come up to here. And then like a lifeguard, all he needs is a whistle. If he had a whistle, he would be blowing that whistle all day long. He sort of just like puts his hand and makes a gesture as to how far I can go, like traffic control, so that as I don't go too far deep and then I might get a stitch and come to die and drown to a a miserable death. Mind you, I just want to point out, I've been doing swimming lessons since a baby, so I probably couldn't compete in the Olympics because I'm not very fast, but I can sure as hell get from the middle of a swimming pool to the outside ledge quite easily and risk of drowning is pretty low. Not going to say no chance, but pretty low. Try explaining that to my dad. It is impossible. He makes the biggest spectacle of himself. And when he's not around, one of the first instructions he gives to my husband is make sure you check how deep the swimming pool is for Alana. Not even for my kids, for Alana. Never mind about the babies and the toddlers and the kids. Just make sure that my 33-year-old daughter doesn't drown in a pool. So I guess it's been embedded into me to helicopter my children because that is sort of what I see parenting being about. You know, my dad shows his love with his extreme protective measures So I guess dad and I probably need therapy. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could go on about how me and dad are a bit quirky. But I love that because my mum is more sort of straight-laced and tough and nobody likes that. If you ever want sympathy, do not go to my mum. She's like a sergeant in like a nice middle-aged lady's body. She's so tough you have no idea. 
It's like the t- complete opposite of parenting styles is my mom and dad. But I come back to this topic because my son wanted for a long time to go around the block with his skateboard and I haven't let him because I'm too scared to let him out of my sight. Little side story again, even when we're at the sh- shops and I tell him to throw a little bit of rubbish out at the bin, as soon as he goes more than two or three meters away from me, I start to panic and I have to do everything in my power to stop from just yelling hysterically, help, help, because he might come out of my sight or someone might cut in and I can't see him anymore. And then I just become like those lost movies where I'm Liam Neeson and I'm making threats to the world about how I'm going to hunt them down if my son goes missing. So for me, going around the block is huge. And I've been saying, yes, okay, when you're 10, when you're 10, thinking that that would be so far away. Well, now he's 10 and he has a freaking good memory. So he remembered and he's like, mom, I'm 10 now. Can I go around the block? I was trying to really think of a way to say that maybe it's illegal because of COVID and if we do it, we would get arrested because I like to find extreme excuses when I'm caught on the spot and I'm panicking. But my husband happened to be home that day and he sort of just cut in before I was frantically trying to think of an excuse as to why he can't do it that sounds believable and said, yes, okay, make sure you wear your Apple Watch so that we can call you, stay with your brother and don't cross any roads, just go around the block. It all happened so fast, you don't understand. My knees went weak and I just thought, for sure, there is a psycho kidnapper just waiting because they knew at this exact time and moment, I would allow my son to go for walk around the block. None of it is rational, but I freaked out. And those five minutes that it took for him to go around the block were the longest five minutes of my life. I kid you not, time stood still. I was dying of anxiety. I ran into the house asking my husband if we could get the drone out so that we could at least follow them, but he refused. Not that that's a crazy idea because last year he was invited to a birthday party and the kid had organized going to the cinemas and it was one of the first times I would drop my child off at a party and not be there. I did not take this well and I didn't see it coming. So when I dropped him off, I just assumed I would be with him. And the mum's like, okay, thank you. This will be the drop off point. This is my mobile number. We'll call you when we're ready. I did not take that well at all. So I may have secretly snuck in with my husband and sat at the very front of the cinema and watched Teen Titans and tried to be really quiet and dark so that John wouldn't see us. And he didn't see us and I didn't embarrass him and I didn't ruin his life as my husband suggested that I might. So all is well that ends well, but I just could not leave him be. So this round the block for me was huge. Anyway, the next day, my son asked to do it again and my mum happened to be around. And I was like, no, look, we've done it once, that's enough now, maybe we'll do it again a little bit later, as in sometime in February. My mum cuts in because she's amazing, by the way, at cutting in and saying the worst things and goes, why do you care? Why are you being so silly? At his age, you used to walk to school and it was ages away because I used to have work in the morning and leave early. Don't you remember? You used to get up by yourself. You used to make yourself breakfast, get dressed and walk over to the school, which would have been about three Ks away. And I'm like, mum shut up, mate. 
shut up. What don't you get about this whole parenting thing that you're not supposed to undermine what I'm saying in front of my kid? And then John just looks at me like I was holding the biggest secret of all time and was like, really, mum, you don't let me make breakfast. And let me just say, I it's not in theory that I don't let him make breakfast, but then I sort of imagined what making breakfast would be like. And if it's anything like eating breakfast, it would be like a bunch of rogue squirrels on cocaine broke into my kitchen one morning and ransacked the place. So for a long time, I've avoided my kids making anything for themselves in the kitchen to save my sanity because I am extremely um, clean and want my things in place. And if a crumb drops on the tile and I see it, I will drop a bitch that will throw me into the worst anxiety and I will be in the worst mood. So it's just a lot easier to just let me make your food and just sit quietly and eat it, possibly on a drop sheet so that we're all happy and I don't kill anyone. But my mum raised a valid point that I discussed with my husband that night about am I stopping my kids or helicoptering my kids so much that they're losing basic life skills and is this what's happening on a broad generalization from each generation and we started to think about each generation and their stories and what their childhood was like and I might add here abuse and extreme circumstances out of it we're just talking about general childhood there are good and bad in everything but When you're looking at my grandparents' childhood, for example, my grandfather was orphaned by the age of eight and just left to fend for himself. And he would have stories where he would say there was an old man in the village that was a fisherman and he would help them tie the uh, knots for the boats and he would be rewarded with fish. But he would eat it with the guy at the beach and not bring it home because if he bought it home, his older brothers and sisters might hit him out of jealousy that he had a fish and they didn't. So they were like fully rogue on their own, like little wild children. And I, and my husband would say, what do you mean? Didn't anyone care where he was? And I was like, no, sometimes he, it would get too late or dark for him to go home and he would just climb a tree and sleep in the tree, or he would find a cave and it was low tide and sleep in there. And my husband even just, you know, who's not that extreme like I am in terms of helicoptering kids was like, that is so dangerous. That is Stommy's age, my second son's age. And we just could not fathom just leaving him be. Also, not sure what level of survival skills the kid would have. We have protected him from everything. I don't even think he can make toast. If I let him be in the wilderness, would he even know about low or high tides or how to climb a tree and sleep in it with not out falling over. I don't even let him climb trees because I'm scared he's going to break his arm. You know, I think he can do it, but he only gets to a certain level before I start screaming and telling him to get off. So this all just brought in so many comparisons about how our kids are probably not able to survive and don't have that survival instinct. It's a little bit like how you'll have a wild animal like a tiger And it knows to hunt, it knows to protect itself, it has those survival instincts. But a tiger that was brought up in captivity in the zoo, for example, that's been fed their whole life, that's never needed to hunt, that's had shelter, 
what the hell would they be out in the wild like? You know, they would lose that instinct. And I think that that's what's happening with each generation because my grandpa went through a lot of struggles. My grandpa didn't have a lot of hugs and didn't have a lot of nurturing. And, you know, he's got a lot of PTSD about that. Like he won't talk about his mum. He says he doesn't remember, but then he gets all uncomfortable and walks out of the room. And then you've got my parents where my dad was left to take care of his sister and take her to school. He was only my son's age. You know, he would have only been nine or 10 years old. And he was all, 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 all sort of the man of the house because my grandparents would have to leave early to work and they'd have long hours. So he would have to take care of the children. And same with my mom. She would have to bath my sister, get her ready for bed. And she was just a kid herself. And, you know, she had to translate bills translate for my grandparents in Australia because they couldn't speak English. They were from Greece. She used to have to go to banks with them, translate, you know, what the bank lender was saying and what was happening. So they were really exposed to a lot of adult things that our kids today really aren't exposed to. Probably my kids are more than others because I know I do helicopter them a lot. You know, a lot of you might be listening to this and saying, no, you know, my kid knows how to make toast. My kid probably does too. I just don't want him to because it's messy, but whatever. You know, and then my childhood and my husband's childhood, he was saying how I used to ride around the block with my bike all day and night. My parents never had a problem. I used to just come home at night. They used to just let me roam around. And I had similar stories where we used to all just play 40-40 in the street. Um, I remember distinctly hiding under cars, um, playing hide and seek with the kids in the street. And it was just like, a normal day in a life of a child in the 80s and 90s was playing outside until it got dark and everyone's mum would sort of come out into the front door, yell for their respective child and it would be time to come in for dinner. There is just no way you would do that now. And any mum that does do that, you sort of frown upon them. I mean, how many times have you drove down the road or, you know, happened to see a bunch of kids riding their bike that were in their young teens or younger And you quickly look around to say, oh, where's the adult? Oh, are they by themselves? And then you'll see the adult like 10 meters down and you'll just go, oh, thank God. Thought it was a bad parent for a minute. But that's how we grew up. And I know a lot of, you know, I said to my husband, well, it was safer then. But it wasn't. I think what has happened is with social media and so much access to news and not at the mercy of what the news in terms of television and newspapers are going to say what the media reports, we have live news feeds that are raw and not full of propaganda because people have their phone and now you can just upload any video from your phone and it's there. And I think that we're just more aware of dangers. I think the dangers were always there, but now we're just more aware of them. And I had this conversation with my mum and she was like, you know, you're right because there was pedophiles in her time, you know, a lot of kids went missing in the 60s and 70s. But no one really knew about it and no one really talked about it. So it was sort of just something that you would see sometimes in the news, but you felt so detached like that wouldn't happen to me. Whereas now we're so aware of what could happen and what could go wrong in the world that we want to protect our children and every generation wants to do better. We've all heard I wanted better for my children from their own experience. But have we gone too far on that spectrum of wanting better for our children that it's now going in the reverse effect and we're making our kids suck? We're making 
shitty, useless people for the world that don't have adversary, that don't have empathy, that don't have the survival that's needed for the real world. And what I mean by that is this. How many times have you been in a situation where you spoke about a topic like death or something uncomfortable and one of the mums said, oh, if you could just whisper, I don't want little Susan to hear us. She's really sensitive about topics like that. It's probably happened to all of us. There's been a situation of some sort where we have had to be quiet about an experience in life that is very common and very normal because we don't want to upset little Susan or little Tim. Now, I understand that, but we've come from generations that are still alive, like my grandparents' age, where my grandma lost her dad in the war and she was tied to a tree from her braids and her house was burnt down with all the memories in it when she was only 12 because of the war that was going on in Greece. And that's what the soldiers did to her to their house because they thought that they were traitors on the other side. So how did we go from that to Susan's going to get upset if she knows about death in just, you know, an 80-year span? It's really extreme. And you wonder to yourself, what is our grandchildren's generation going to be like? What is it going to be like for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren? And what's happening here is because we're replacing pets when they die, because we don't talk about death, because we sugarcoat everything and we wrap our kids in cotton wool because we are so aware of how shit the world is out there, we are stopping the inevitable. And when you place something really, really high up, the fall is just that much greater. And we all know that you can't bubble wrap your kids forever. The world is bad and it's going to continue to be bad for some time, at least until the foreseeable future, because that's what mankind is like. So why are we trying to protect our kids and give them a false sense of reality to feel better about ourselves as parents, only to release them as unprepared adults that are going to get slapped in the face really hard by what is known as the real world. You know, an example is school sports or extracurricular sports like, you know, footy after school, things like that. They've got this new thing where they don't keep score and everybody wins or I guess nobody loses. And that really pisses me off and it actually shits my kids as well because my kids are quite competitive and I have taught my kids that you do lose sometimes and that's cool in fact you're probably going to lose more often than you're going to win in a match there's two teams that's fine one's going to lose one's going to win but in life for example when you're up against some people in an interview there might be 10 applicants now in terms of probability there will be nine losers and one winner. So when failure and losing is a higher probable than winning, why are we not teaching the skill to our children of how to lose gracefully and how to take whatever constructive criticism is in that loss and do better? Why is it not okay to tell your child to do better? Why do you have to say it's okay, at least you tried and you had fun? Trying and having fun doesn't always pay off in the real world. In fact, I don't know about everyone else's world, 
but as sure as hell doesn't pay off in mine, having fun and trying won't pay the bills. You need to be successful. And the more you want out of life, the more holidays you want, the nicer your house, the nicer your car, the flashier your clothes, the more you're going to need to win. Now, wouldn't it be important to teach our children how to win, how to accept loss because it is impossible and there is not a single person in this world that has not felt loss. But it's the ones that overcome it and draw positives and survive that are successful and they're your 10% or your 1%. And it's all a matter of how well you deal with losing and what you take out of it. Why, when you think about it, aren't we raising our kids to really excel in that, in that category. Why are we raising our kids that there is no such thing as failure? There is. You're going to fail a lot more than you're going to win. And if you look at what the younger generation is like in terms of all of that, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to tell a 20-something-year-old in at work or even in your personal life something constructive that's a bit of criticism? They will talk back and excuse themselves all the time. And it's mind-boggling. You'll say something at work and they'll say, oh, yeah, but I didn't look at it like that, or, oh, but I, but, but, but. And you think, mate, just shut the fuck up and say, okay, look, I apologize. I won't, it won't happen again, or I'll work on that. It's like talking back doesn't exist. And I don't remember when speak when you were spoken to went out of fashion. And I know it's olden day and, you know, It's good to have a voice and it's good to have a presence, but also know your place. And it's so important in this world that you know your place. The self-entitled shit of you will respect me because we should all be respected just doesn't actually work in the real world. You need to earn respect. You need to not be self-entitled and you need to shut the fuck up when somebody that is in a better position or a higher position than you is speaking of respect and actions speak louder than words. This whole, I'm going to defy the structure and the system. It's not realistic. At least it's not yet. So all you're getting is all these 20 something year olds that are forced to be self-employed because they literally can't be in a structure where they have a boss or they have managers that are telling them what to do. It is a generation of people people that do not want to be told or cannot accept being told what to do and cannot accept failure. So they're either not trying, they're studying in uni for fucking decades because they don't really want to go out there and be faced with the real world, or they're really just shitty assholes. They're just dicks. And I'm just wondering, how much more of this are we going to breed? Because it's just, it's getting worse. I'm seeing how I'm raising my kid and I'm guilty of it that I'm thinking your generation is going to be even worse, even worse than the current 20-something-year-olds because we're just trying to cotton wool you that much more. Every time something happens, we try and protect it. But by not letting that raindrop on your kid's head or by not letting your child have that pain, have that pain of loss, have that pain of losing, have that pain of failure, then they will not learn how to have compassion when somebody else is in pain and they will not learn how to be a better person 
Winning aside, you might think that shit's not important to me. I'm not materialistic. I don't care. Genuinely, I just want my kid to be happy and try. That's good enough. Fine. But look at it in terms of how much empathy your child would have for someone that's in pain when your child has never felt pain before themselves. How can you really ever put yourself in someone's shoes and understand what they're feeling if you've never come close to feeling anything like that? And that is the issue of what we're having at the moment is that we're, we're coming dangerously close to raising emotionally inept children that are just too wrapped up into their own feelings, really have a hard time to step out and self-analyze and critique and really have a hard time to put themselves in other people's shoes. Not just say oh, yes, I understand, but genuinely deeply put themselves in other people's shoes. Not a hashtag on Instagram or a black tile because that's what everyone else is doing. A full understanding and a full sorrow and compassion and need to help that builds tolerance and respect for others and differences. If we're really going to try and push a movement of change, don't we owe it to our children to be able to raise them in a way where they understand that it's not all rainbows and butterflies out there? Shouldn't they be aware of that? Shouldn't they know that? And I think it's really fitting given everything that's going on at the moment in terms of educating yourself with the black movement and Black Lives Matter because take from that the fact that we really do need to educate our children. Have a think about how much your children know about World War One and World War Two, Have a think about how much your children know about the Holocaust. Have a think about how much your children know about the Armenian Genocide or all the other atrocities that have happened in the world. If the answer is not much and the answer is in your mind autom- automatic, you know, freak out, oh, no, that's too, that's too vivid, that's too dangerous, that's too violent, I don't want to put that emotion on my kid, I don't want to hurt my kid, my kid is quietly playing with Barbies and happy in their bubble, why on earth would I have a conversation about Hitler with, with my kid? Then you have to ask yourself, when will that child eventually just switch the switch and decide to know what the real world is like? When is that child going to stop being a child or a baby in your eyes and you're going to be ready to have that conversation? And if the answer is probably never because your child remains a child in in a parent's eyes forever, or if the answer is when they go to uni or don't worry, the time will come when they need to be aware of reality. I want them to have some happiness and be naive for a little bit because it doesn't last. I get it, but you're setting your kid up for a king hit when they're 18 or 19 years old. Wouldn't it be better to sort of raise our kids in a way where they are aware of what man is possible of doing? They are aware of the bad side of humanity and what we can do and what we are capable of, but say it in a context where we end with the story or the note of what we need to take away from that. We end with explaining to our children why we need to have tolerance, why we need to have empathy, why we need to understand and respect differences. That is far more important than don't talk about it around little Susan. She gets really upset. That's not helpful. And, you know, 
when are we going to actually teach our kid how to be street smart? They're, go- they're going to need to know that people in this world are not always there to help them. Their whole childhood at the moment is wrapped around everybody is nice and everybody is caring and everybody is helpful. But that is the total opposite of actually what the world is like. So you need to wonder to yourself, is there just going to be a moment where your kid wakes up and realizes without having any fall, oh, okay, the world is actually full of nasty people that don't want the best for me and are just trying to be out there to get me for their own self-benefit. The chances are they're only going to learn that with some really harsh, hard lessons. So wouldn't it be better for your child to at least be raised to be aware of these situations and be aware of what's out there so that when that does happen, they're a little bit more, I guess, not in denial about how real things are. And I think that that's really important as parents that we're looking at that and rather than trying to buffer or protect them from what we've gone through or what generations before us have gone through, we should probably just be aware that we have gone through it or our parents have gone through it, our grandparents have gone through it. So the likelihood that they will go through something shitty too is quite high. So how can we prepare them for it? Because we can't shield them forever. And whoever came up with that Seriously, it's a flawed idea and we're all following it like idiots, but it's ridiculous. There needs to be a bit of tough love. And look, I'm not saying abuse or I'm not saying anything like that because there's extremes. So anyone that's taking it to extremes, well, you're an idiot and I'd prefer you don't even listen to my podcast, to be honest with you. Everyone that gets it that's normal, you get it. I I, I don't need idiots that are going to troll and say, "I, I was abused as a child and I don't agree with that. We're not talking about that, mate. So calm your farm and fuck right off. But even if you look at kids that have had struggles in their life, even now, they tend to be the ones that overcome and that are really successful. If you have a look, and I was thinking about this the other day, have a think about people that are very successful in their life. When you look at their childhood, there's been some serious obstacles to overcome. Now, again, I am not saying that you need to abuse your child, but what I am saying is there is a connection between teaching your child adversary and teaching your child that there is pain and there is negative things out there and teaching your child failure and overcoming it to get to success. There is a connection between that and successful people in the future. And that is really important to note because if you want your child to be like all the other 20-something-year-olds on Instagram trying to earn an income from taking photos of their tracksuit or loungewear, fine, great. Not sure how long that's going to last in the big scheme of things when you're going to live for like 90 years. Don't think you can be doing that in your 60s, but sure, okay. Or... Do you want your child to be the prime minister, an Olympic athlete, something of greatness, something of making an impact in the world? And I think the answer that every parent has is that, of course, you want your child to have greatness. Of course, you want your child to succeed in anything that they want to do. And really, if you want that and you want your kid to have goals and you want your kid to strive for something, they really need to learn how to fail. 
It's really important. And they need to learn how to not be dicks. They need to learn how to not be self-entitled little pricks that have no concept of the real world, which is currently what we're breeding. So on that note, let's snap the fuck out of it and let's just go out there and tell our kids that sometimes, mate, yes, you're a loser. You lost at that football game. You were shit. Perhaps next time you can run a little bit harder and you'll get better at it. There's nothing wrong with saying that, in my opinion, rather than, oh, look, it's okay. At least you had fun. No, mate, you were a shit player. You probably let your team down and it was because you didn't really try hard enough. You know you didn't. You sat back, you didn't run, and you didn't work for it. And if you don't work for it and you don't run, shit's really unlikely to fall into your lap. So next time, if you didn't like that feeling and you wished you were holding the trophy, start fucking running, mate. What's wrong with saying that? Something to think about. Thanks, everyone, and um, I will see you next time through my podcast with you every Monday and Friday. Don't forget to leave a review. Thanks, guys. Bye.